Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Agent Provocateur with yours truly and Adam Wild. We're here today with a lifelong client of mine. Uh, we've been working together now for 20 years since he was uh, 20 years of age. And uh, let me give you a little introduction. He was born and raised in Czech Republic was the first person ever to win a gold medal at the World Juniors and at the uh, Men's World Championships for Czech Republic in the same year, did that in the year 2000, a 1999 first-round pick of the Ottawa Senators, a finalist for the Calder Trophy NHL Rookie of the Year, NHL All-Rookie Team, a five-time 20-goal scorer, one-time 30-goal scorer, two-time NHL All-Star, represented Czech Republic in three Olympics, uh, no, two Olympics, and one World Cup of Hockey, Martin Havlat. Hey, all right. <laughs> Hi, guys. Almost perfect, Alan. Almost perfect. <laughs> I get a B+. plus. <laughs> So, you know, uh, Martin, uh, Alan and I have spoken many times and, and uh, for anybody listening to this, we've spoken many times and, and your name has come up uh, about what a great guy you are and what a great relationship that you and Alan have. But there's a story today, I think, that we're going to start at, Alan. It's, it has to do with, and I think a lot of people have always wondered about this, you know, what's it like to be in the NHL when your contract is up? And, and that is, that's sort of where our, our story starts today. Is that not right, Alan? It's exactly right, but we want to set it up a little bit. Okay. And to give you a little bit of setup, uh, Marty, do you remember the first time we ever met together? It's going to be 20, 20 years ago for sure, maybe more. Is that right? Yep. Uh, I, I drove was- from Prague. Uh, to to it was in Freestack uh, when I was playing in Trinets, I think. Yeah, my last my last year, I think it was, and we met at the restaurant by the uh, by the highway there. I think it was. I don't remember. It was like a, a six hour drive from Prague to Friedrich Mistek, and uh, we met for lunch. And that's where I get taste of the agent. How you call yourself now? Agent provocateur. Agent provocateur. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And, uh, and, and the next time we really met together and it was something that, uh, you know, we had a great meeting. We had a great lunch. Uh, you didn't speak any English at all. Not one word. It was all through a translator. Uh, a little bit better. Yeah. A little bit. You got, you got a little bit better now. And, uh, and then the next time I saw you was at the uh, world juniors in Sweden. We were in northern Sweden. The World Juniors were in uh, Umeå and Skelleftea. And uh, you had just won with Czech Republic gold medal at the World Juniors. And you were center ice, the last player left on the ice after the whole gold medal presentation with the biggest smile I had ever seen with the gold medal around your neck, yet a cell phone. And you were and you were circling uh, around the ice by yourself with the gold medal talking on the phone. I later found out you were talking to your dad, who you've always been incredibly close with. Guys, you were standing there, right? Surprisingly. And then you came off the ice and I was standing right when you came off the ice and you gave me a big bear hug. And I said, congratulations. And then you went off into the dressing room. Yeah, that was, it's hard to, uh, it's been a while. Huh? It's like, <laughs> I had a lot more hair back then. Funny, funny it was one of the last things I ever wanted. And it's- <laughs> Martin, I'm curious, what was yeah. your first impression through a translator of Alan Walsh? And, and why did you ultimately decide to go with him? Because obviously there would have been a few agents that would have probably knocked on your door. Well, back then, every every decision I was making uh, was with my father, mm-hmm. uh, good or bad. We did it together. Uh, actually, the decision on Alan is 
didn't end up to be such a bad decision. And uh, I'm still with him till, till today, even when I'm not playing hockey anymore. We, pretty, uh, we ended up being pretty close, uh, not just uh, professionally, but uh, on the personal note. So, uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't really know. He probably talked too much in all, all those meetings uh, <laughs> at, and that I, I didn't have any other options. So... Uh, <laughs> That meeting, uh, the first meeting, it was just, I think, the first time we ever met and it was a nice meeting and uh, we had a translator that day and uh, it was a great talk, but it was, nothing was happening after that and uh, even at the, um, at the World Championship under 20, we didn't, we just, a couple of times we ran into each other, we said hi and uh, that was it. That Alan, I got, I got a question for you, Alan. How did you find out about uh, Martin Havlat, and and what made you decide to take the six-hour drive from Prague? Yeah, uh, Martin Havlat uh, was a uh, very highly rated uh, future NHL prospect at the time. Anybody involved in the hockey industry knew Marty Havlat. Um, many considered him in his draft year, first-round pick. He ultimately was drafted in the first round. He was a star on his team. He starred uh, for Czech Republic in the under-18 World Championships. Uh, and, and, and everybody knew him. And anybody, any agent, especially me, I was still maybe four years in the business. Kind, wow. of, kind of young and just starting off, so to speak, given that it's been 26 years now. Uh, the opportunity to sit and have lunch with a player of Marty's stature was a pretty big deal. And, and you had to do that drive on your own. It wasn't like you, you had somebody take you from Prague, right? You drove, you, you rented a car and you drove. No, no, no. I, and... had, I had somebody, I had somebody with me from Czech okay. who, who drove and the translator was with us the whole way. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, but the meeting was arranged, I think more through Marty's dad and, mm -hmm. and Marty was, you know, interested to sit and meet and talk. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was a great get to know you session. But like Marty said, there was nothing really more to it than that. And, and, and then after Marty's um, first NHL season, where he was the runner up uh, uh, finalist for the Calder and was NHL all rookie team uh, that summer, we met a few times and uh, just before the start of the next season, we started working together. Well, August, August what? Uh, August 28. There it is. Wow. Wow. 20, 20 years together. Huh? Yeah. That's a great number. <laughs> Marty, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm a full disclosure. I'm a Leafs fan. So you broke my heart on several occasions. I want you to know that. Well, I don't think we did that well in the playoffs. Well, <laughs> well but I mean, so that, you know, having Alan as, as an agent, I know that, you know, Alan would have been, it's so funny, Alan, to think of that. It's like you were just sort of starting out. But Marty Havlat is a, uh, a, a big get. And when you're shepherding a young player through their career early on, and especially on this Senators teams of the early 2000s, which were great teams, always had a chance, uh, always were sort of in contention, um, you know, how do you help a player mature in, uh, in that early part of their career? I want to ask you and like what your kind of rules are. And then Marty, I want to ask you about what Alan did for you afterwards. Cause I'm, I've always been curious about that. Okay. They're a teenager, but now they're a young adult and there's thousands of people watching them every night. Yeah. You have to lay different uh, layers of structure around the player's life off the ice. So one of the first things was getting a financial plan together and, and having Marty understand um, what it means to save money and what it means to manage cash flow and what it means for later retirement. And I think all throughout Marty's career, we constantly were talking about um, his financial health and and what it would mean for him in retirement whenever that occurred. You want every player to play as long as they could possibly play, but you also want players to be very well set up for retirement. And that was a key part from the very beginning. And, and, and trust me, when you sit with a 19 or 20-year-old player 
and you're talking to them about retirement and what they're <laughs> going to need when they are in retirement, they look at you like you have a third eye. Uh, yes. But it is a key part of um, establishing structure in a player's life and having a player uh, own what they are uh, going to buy, what they can afford, how they are going to live. And, and that was a, a key part of things right from the get-go. Marty, uh, do you remember Alan ever laying down the law with you? What was he, what was he like in those early days as, a, as an advisor for you? Well, it was very easy because when he was talking about, this, uh, about the money, money uh, advising stuff, I didn't understand much. So I was pretending that I understand everything he said. <laughs> 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 we had more more meetings than uh, than just one about that. But uh, uh, well, since the day one uh, we got together, he's been helping me off off the ice uh, in every every way. So uh, uh, it's it's a lot of fun stuff. But uh, during those years, uh, you get up and down moods and swings and everything. You're playing well, you're not playing well. You're having any kinds of issues he was always there for me and uh he's still uh still here for me even after my career so that's uh that's been amazing so uh even now i have to before i do something i have to ask him uh, if i can do that (laughs) (laughs) alan um you know for for a player of martin havlat's stature and and you know the upswing in his career it's got to be exciting as an agent watching but as an agent, you're also probably looking to the future and going, okay, so this is a young player. They're getting into their mid-20s now. And based on the rules after the, uh, after the first lockout in 0405, the first full, full year round, um, you know, free agency moved down to 27 years old. Correct. Um, and so at the end of the 0506 season, after a Martin, a blistering playoffs, you know, 13 points in 10 games, you're the top of everybody's mind. You're a restricted free agent. And there was a major discussion to be had with the senators there because the contract's up. You've got a year between you and unrestricted free agency. What happened at that point? What was the discussion between the two of you? And then what was the discussion with the senators? Marty? you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Al, which, who who wants to take this one? Because I know this is where the drama starts, right? This is a this is a this story is unbelievable. So I'm who wants to take the first step into it? There was no not many stories till that day, yeah? or that kind of uh, yeah. After the playoffs, all the drama started with us. Yeah. Alan, huh? Well, we we had we had a couple of other interesting events and contract negotiations together. Your first the first deal that I did coming out of entry level. You, um, you, you, you did not, we did not have a deal when training camp started. Uh, the, the commonly used term in the media is holding out. Although mm-hmm. oh, who was holding out? You or me? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I don't believe in that term because you're not, you don't have a contract. So you can't hold out for something from something you don't have. But we did not have a deal when training camp started uh, that year. And uh, and Marty was in Czech Republic. And then he came and we met together in Montreal all through training camp. We were negotiating with Ottawa. We weren't very close. And uh, and and as we got towards the beginning of the season, we still didn't have a deal. Um, we, we, we missed the first uh, game or two of the season. And, and, and then I said to Ottawa, that's it. If we're not going to make a deal, Marty's going back to Europe. And uh, we, we booked a flight back to check. Uh, Marty's at the airport. He's going through security. And uh, I'm talking to uh, John Muckler, the GM, and, uh, and, uh, and Peter Shirelli was the assistant GM. And literally 10 minutes before the plane was boarding, we, they moved and and we moved a little and and both sides put a little bit of water in their wine and we mm-hmm. and we made the deal and marty came out through security 
And uh, and I met him there at the airport and, and we went and had dinner in Montreal. And uh, then he went and joined uh, Ottawa the next morning. Wow. That was the first drama we had. That was the first drama. The first drama. But uh, Marty, what's that? What's that like for you in your early 20s? And, and you're you know, it's coming down to the wire. Your teammates are showing up in training camp and you can't be there. Well, it wasn't fun. Any of these things. It wasn't fun because you want to be in a camp and getting re- uh, want to get ready for the season as, as good as you can. But mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, that that time it was probably necessary. We felt we felt it together with Alan. It was necessary. And in the, and it was fair or unfair, whatever. <laughs> but uh, it's it's no fun. You want to be there right from the beginning and uh, and uh, have the time to get ready uh, the way you're supposed to. But uh, I was practicing with the team. I think uh, the University of Montreal Concordia. I think. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I had a couple of practices with the sixty-seven. 67 in Ottawa, but uh, it was uh, it was uh, it was fun. If I'm looking at it this way, so uh, must have been cool for them. The University of Concordia, they must have been thrilled to have you. Oh, well, I don't know about that, but uh, I, I was happy I could be able to play, practice with them and uh, be on the ice with uh, with uh, with their team. So anytime uh, I could practice with the team, it was better than just skate on my own. So. Uh, but uh, yeah, they helped me a lot before uh, before we agreed to everything, and then I could start uh, start the season with the boys, and it was it was a lot of fun every year in Ottawa. Yeah. So then the next contract we negotiated together with Ottawa was right at the end of the World Cup of Hockey. Marty had just come off the ice. He came out. I met him by the elevators. I met you by the elevators, and uh, we talked a bit about the offer Ottawa had just given us. Uh, we knew there was going to be a lockout declared in the next one or two days. And we signed uh, a one-year deal. You signed a one-year deal with Ottawa just before uh, the start of a lockout. And it was wow. fun. That was fun. And, and, that, and, that, and, and, and you never got paid on that deal because you lost the entire year. Right? Yeah. Well, it was a, that was a crazy year, I think, for for everybody playing for, I don't know how many teams they had played for that, that year. <laughs> yeah. You played in, you played in Czech, you played in Russia. Then back in Czech. Yeah. But, uh, but the world before that happened, the world cup was one of the most fun tournaments I, I've been part of. So, but the, the whole, the full year after that wasn't that much fun. No, I can imagine. So, right. For anybody. Right. So now jump forward to, um, the, the central focus of our podcast today and uh, the story of, of uh, Marty being traded from Ottawa, Chicago, uh, mm-hmm. and signing a, a three-year contract. So I had uh, met with Ottawa's GM, and he made it very clear he was not interested in doing a long-term deal. Marty, in the previous year, uh, only played, uh, I believe it was 18 games, uh, because he uh, had shoulder surgery and and missed most a huge chunk of the season and uh, came back near the end of the season, but had a blowout playoffs. I, I mean, the, I, I remember being in Tampa and you had some amazing games against Tampa uh, and and Ottawa went on a roll and you went on a roll. So the season's over um, and and I meet with Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, you're one year from unrestricted free agency, and uh, they don't want to do a long-term deal. And, uh, and, and we were talking, you know, continuously with Ottawa. And at one point in time, they were willing to discuss something long-term, but the numbers they were talking uh, were way below your market value. So finally, we got to a point where the GM calls me and he says, look, we've made a decision. We're going to trade Marty and we're going to need you to help us here, because if it's just a one year deal, wherever Marty goes and he's walking to free agency, we're not getting any value back. But if we can get, you know, 
you know, Marty signs a deal in conjunction with the trade, we'll get some value back. So you can talk to teams. Um, we'll talk to teams and, and let's get, let's work together to get something that's good for you and good for us. So I, I, I got to ask you, Alan, just going to stop you there for a second, because what's the rationale at that point? Why not do a longer term deal? Did Ottawa ever, it was, it was John Muckler who was still the GM or was it Brian Murray at this point? It was John Muckler. So what was the, did they give you a rationale? Is that as an agent, do you ask why, or do you just keep going? I never really asked why that's, you know, they're telling me what their position is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I, th- I think the, the numbers where we were at was above what they were looking to do. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they had to run all their deals by ownership. I think they had other players that they were looking at to devote perhaps more money to. But it also felt like it was time to move on. Sometimes you just feel like it's time. And, uh, and it certainly felt like that in this situation. You know, if a GM is saying to me, we've made a decision, we want to trade the player. Do you really want to stay somewhere where people are feeling like that about you? It's, 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 this is part of the game. And it's mm-hmm. time to move on. Ottawa was great for Marty. You had uh, great friends there. You had a, a great life there. Uh, you were very involved in the community uh, with Ronald McDonald House and other things that people don't even know about. Uh, but it was time to move on. And, and Marty, for you, you get a call from Alan, who by now you've known for six or seven years somebody you trust. And he says, he, he kind of has to relay that information to you. How do you begin to prepare for, you don't know where you're going. He's got to now make these phone calls. How do you begin to prepare for the inevitable trade that's going to happen? Well, it was the first time uh, for me, actually, I heard about uh, whatever, that we might have to switch teams or that it's not gonna, that we're not going to get what we're looking for. And, uh, uh, like I never, I had a couple different situations like that later on, and uh, I'm not really a fan of those situations, but uh, mm-hmm. they are not very enjoyable. Oh, on some parts, uh, sometimes you ended up uh, knowing later after a time that actually was great, or it's a good thing that happened to you. But at the time, uh, I was on a very, very good team, one of the better teams. Uh, in the uh, in the NHL in the playoffs every year, I was used to that. I didn't even think about it at the beginning of the year. You know, I'm not going to be having a chance to play for the cup. And now uh, it, lo- it was looking like uh, I will have to leave. And uh, well, the year before before I left, Hoss Marian left, and basically the same year I left, uh, Zdeno Chara left. So uh, it was kind of. Uh, Kind of a weird feeling when you leave a city and a team uh, were great to you and uh, and all the friends you had there from the beginning of your career and especially playing in Canada where hockey is number one, right? So, uh, and uh, that time we still didn't know where we're going to go. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Alan uh, work is magic. So. <laughs> so how does that work, Alan? By the way, we forget sometimes how great those Senators teams were, like the kinds of caliber of talent that those teams had were unbelievable. You just mentioned Marion Hosen, Zdeno Chara, Alfredson, Spezza, you know, so many names. Alan, you have to start to make these phone calls now. How do you begin that? What's that? Like, do you just call a GM and go, hey, you interested? Like, how does that work? Well, uh, Ottawa was working the phones pretty hard. And uh, many of the teams were talking to Ottawa and then after giving me a call, because the first question was always, you know, what do you, what kind of contract are you guys looking for? Because if it's a, if it's a one-year deal and we're walking to free agency, it's a much different level of value they're willing to give back to Ottawa. So mm-hmm. people wanted to, teams wanted to know, are we willing to do a longer term deal, how long we're willing to go. Um, and remember, this is a player, even though he had an amazing playoff, you know, still had shoulder surgery the year before 
and, and missed a significant chunk of the season, which was certainly a concern of a lot of teams uh, in, in signing a player to a you know, really long-term deal. So yeah. uh, I remember vividly being in my office and, uh, and getting a call from Dale Talon, uh, who was the GM in Chicago. And he said that uh, he's always loved Marty as a player. He uh, scouted him extensively in his draft year. Dale was a, a, a scout at the time. Uh, he says, Martin Havlat is a game breaker. Uh, we're going to change everything here in Chicago at the time. Um, Bill Wirtz was still alive. Uh, mm-hmm. Chicago Blackhawk home games were not televised. Uh, right. The United Center had uh, typically 10,000 fans uh, per game. The building was half empty. And really, it was a franchise that was uh, not really going anywhere on the ice for a very long time. And Dale said, I'm going to change things. I'm going to bring in players. I'm going to make this team a winner. I have a plan to build this team to win the Stanley Cup. And it begins with Marty Havlat. And I remember saying to Dale, you know, at the time, let's say Marty's value was somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, of uh, $4 million a year. And, and I said, you know, Dale said, what are you looking for? And I said, well, we'll give up a couple of years of free agency, but we don't want to sign a six, seven, eight year deal right now. Uh, you know, we have a, a relatively new salary cap. You want to know how that's all going to come into play, um, where salaries are going to go, where revenues are going to go. So I kind of thought from the very beginning with Marty that a three-year deal was the, the, the right term where you're, you're coming into a team, you're giving up two years of free agency, but then still relatively young to be able to decide to, decide to stay in Chicago or to go somewhere else after. You know, if the team doesn't turn around and if it really stays games off, television and small crowds and, you know, a lot of losing. Do you really want to lock into that really long-term? So both sides were kind of taking a chance on the other one, but I gave Dale a number. It was a big number. And, uh, and, and he said he needed to go uh, talk to ownership. And I remember Dale uh, got in his car and, and went to uh, Mr. Wurtz's house and I believe his daughter was getting married that weekend. And it was sort of like a scene from The Godfather where, you know, Dale gets led into uh, an ante room where there's uh, people there in tuxedos and Bill Wirtz comes in and, and, and Dale explains to him, you know, who Marty is and what he can do and what he believes is, you know, in his plan for the future where Marty fits in and needed to get that approval on the contract to then go make the trade. Um, and Dale called me Dale, afterwards. Dale got in at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> what would you ask for me on this, the day of my daughter's wedding? Exactly. <laughs> That's why I made the reference to the Godfather. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I remember, you know, Dale called me and I called Marty and there was a lot of uh, communication uh, going on uh, between us. And, uh, and, and, uh, ultimate, ultimately, uh, Marty, you said to me, let's give Chicago a try. And we communicated to Chicago that we would, we would do a deal. And it was a three-year deal in the $6 million a year range, which at the time was a groundbreaking contract. Mm-hmm. It was a big number. It was a big which number I, for... Which I could... Go ahead. Which I couldn't understand. That was such a big number. <laughs> <laughs> You'd earned it. <laughs> well, it was a big, big raise, right? Mm-hmm. Compared to that last year. You were in the before. you were in the two millions yeah. coming in, coming off the deal. I remember. I'm not sure if you remember. I remember you asking if you absolutely sure on that number because I almost wanted to fight that it's too high. Wow. Wow. I didn't. <laughs> Good thing but, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I quickly talked him out of that. 
<laughs> so I, I, I'm because here's the thing, right? And, and, and this is from the fan perspective, which is me here. You know, Marty, you're going from like a top team. You just, you know, we talked to, and then you're going to the Blackhawks who are objectively, and, and Alan, you, you spelled this out perfectly. They were a mess. They're a mess at this point. They weren't the Blackhawks organization that, you know, won cups and, and had uh, enormous revenues coming in and were, you know, in every outdoor game. This was a forgotten original six franchise. Was there any apprehension on your part, Marty, to signing a three-year contract with them because they'd have been a disaster for the better part of, well, probably since the early 90s? Well, I, I was hope we talk about in every, uh, about every possible thing, what could happen or what, how's it going to be going from the, one of the best teams in the playoffs every year to the, one of the worst teams and not being in the playoffs for, uh, hold on, 10, 10 years maybe, maybe wow. that time. And, uh, but I felt like they, well, we had no other option than switch the teams. So, but I felt like I'm going to go into a team where they, uh, want me and where probably my role is going to change than what I had in Ottawa. And, uh, I was just hoping to, uh, to play a lot in every situation. And uh, that's what we talked about before we uh, before we made the deal. And every everything I just said here, the, the stuff what I talked uh, talked to Dale about and uh, Alan, uh, they they did everything they said. They gave me the chance uh, to uh, to play and to be in those different situations. And I was um, I was happy to be a part of. Uh, I never seen anything or any change from one of the worst teams to one of the best teams before before I left in, in Chicago. There was uh, another three amazing years uh, in, in my career and I'm very, very happy I could be part of it. Alan, do you have to worry about that too? Like top team to the worst team? Do you Does that factor into your decisions as well as an agent? Uh, sh- sure it did, but I, I always had a tremendous belief in Marty. And, uh, and when he came in, um, you know, right away, he made it, he made a difference on the ice and, uh, and he was clearly the crowd favorite amongst the players on the team, you know, including their last year when they went to the conference finals, uh, and Marty was the named the uh, MVP of the team, but I want to get back to the trade itself and, and, and some of the things that went on. Uh, to to push this deal over the finish line and and actually getting it it, it announced. So, um, I was I was with Marty in Ottawa when the trade actually happened, and it was a three way deal uh, with San Jose. Uh, San Jose sent some prospects to Chicago, who then flipped them to Ottawa. Uh, to make this deal happen. And, uh, and, and then, you know, the deal is done. We verbally agreed on the contract with Chicago and, uh, and Dale calls and says, okay, we need you and Marty to come to Chicago ASAP. We're going to have uh, medicals. Our doctors have to examine Marty's shoulder and, and make sure that, um, he, you know, everything's all clear. We may take, we may need to take some pictures, some imaging of the shoulder as well. See how the physical examination goes. Um, we're going to have a press conference and we're going to generate some excitement here in our market. And that, and that's really important. And uh, we need to get the contract signed. So um, they send us the uh, air tickets and uh, Marty and I go to the airport in Ottawa. Uh, they booked two first class air tickets we fly from Ottawa to Chicago. We land in Chicago. They arranged a car to pick us up uh, at the airport. It's a long black stretch limousine. Uh, and it was a sweltering hot day. I just remember it being like one of the hottest days in Chicago history. It was over 100 degrees. And we get in the car and we're both dressed, you know, suit and ties. And we get in the we get in the limo. And uh, we go riding to the United Center 
And Dale was in front of the United Center pacing back and forth. The black limo pulls up. We get out. Um, Dale and Marty uh, shake hands and make some small talk. And in we go into the United Center. We uh, meet with the doctor who examines Marty's shoulder. He says, I don't need any images. I don't need any pictures. Everything here is great. Marty's fine. He's all cleared to go. So that's out of the way. And we go up to Dale's office and he hands me the contracts for the first time. And he's like, okay, we need them signed. Uh, I have to pick up the contract and read through it. And it takes a little bit of time to read through the entire contract to make sure everything is in order. Um, It is Marty signs them. Dale picks up the contracts and sprints out of the office. And uh, what, what I didn't know at the time is that Bill Wirtz had come in because Bill Wirtz has to sign under his policy every single contract personally, uh, wow. along with every check that ever got written from his organization, personally hand signed everything. So it's, that's not normal, right? Not that I know of. Uh, okay. uh, so Dale sprints over to Bill Wirtz's office, wherever it was in the building. And uh, Bill signed, countersigned the contracts. And Dale came back and he was visibly relieved that um, Mr. Wirtz had signed the contracts as if almost he harbored some doubt at the last minute, whether these deals or this contract was going to get signed even at the last minute. So now the contract signed, it gets registered with the league. And uh, we go down for the press conference. There was um, uh, a lot of media there. Uh, there was a big buffet table laid out with food. And, and Marty, I remember um, one part of the press conference where you're sitting there um, at the head table with everybody, as you said, you know, I've never missed the playoffs in my entire career. And I don't intend to miss the playoffs here. And uh, it was a pretty prophetic comment, right? Uh, yeah. It's fun. Playoffs fun. Yeah. I was, was not used to not being there. But we, uh, we made it my last year. So that, that, was, that was fun. Yeah. So what do you remember about the press conference and, and that whole day? Uh, well, like you said, we were driving in the limo to get to the stadium, right? Yep. To sign the. I don't know. I remember Savi sitting next to us. Savi was there. Yeah. So this is a great. This is a great story. So, um, after the press conference, we're um, we're all eating. We all went to the buffet. We filled up a plate of food, and we're all sitting there. And uh, Denny Savard was the assistant coach at the time in Chicago. And it was Denny Savard, and then a reporter sat down next to Denny, and then it was Marty and I. And you know, me and and Denny and Marty were in a conversation, and the reporter sat down, and we had been discussing a little bit the genesis of the trade and some of the conversations with uh, with Dale. And the reporter interrupted, and he looks at me and he said, "Excuse me, can I ask you a question?" I said, "Sure." He goes. It's just fascinating to me how involved you were in in making this trade happen. He says, just fascinating. I'd like to do a story on this. Do you mind if I ask you some questions? And I said, no, go right ahead. And he says, so tell me, you know, you were actually having discussions, you know, with Ottawa's GM. Is that normal? And I said, yeah, it's, it's perfectly normal. It happens a lot. He says, I just, I just, I've never heard of an assistant coach of an NHL team being so involved in, in, <laughs> in those kinds of discussions. And I looked at him and I looked at Marty and I looked at Denise Savard and I said, excuse me, I'm Alan Walsh, Marty's agent. This here is Denny Savard, Hockey Hall of Famer, oh. the assistant coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. And he just looked at all of us. And I remember he looked at us and he said, now, don't I have egg on my face? 
<laughs> wow. And how do you, how do you be good? How are you a Chicago sports reporter without knowing Denny Savard and what he looks like? He's, he was a legend. Absolute legend. I, I have well, that's, no idea. That's, that's the way it was there when we got there. Wow. In uh, uh, three years after that, too, it was much different. Much different. Then I remember one more thing where when we were, was it the same day we were leaving? Alan? It was the same day. It was after the press conference. <laughs> I remember we were uh, coming in in the limo. And then I remember leaving in the yellow dirty cat. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened here? You guys are brought from the airport in a limo. The, everything happens. You eat, you do the interview where he doesn't know whether you're Denny Savard or Alan Walsh. And then afterwards, you kind of look at each other and go, what now? Everybody, Is that how that everybody left. And, and I mean, like the press conference cleared out. Dale went home. Everybody's gone. And Marty and I looking at each other, Marty's like, do you have the air tickets back to Ottawa? And I was <laughs> like, and I look and I realized they were only one way tickets. So I'm like, let's go back to Dale's office. We go back to Dale's office and his assistant is there. And I said, um, hi, uh, it, it, are there flights? There's supposed to be flights booked for us to go back to Ottawa right after the right after the presser. And she goes, oh, yes, yes, yes. I have the tickets here. And she opens up a folder and she hands them to us. It's like, OK, we got the tickets. And I said, um, what about a, a, a car back to the airport? She goes, Oh, I'll, I'll call you a cab. So we're like, okay, Marty and I go, go down to the front of the United center. Again, it is sweltering hot. And in the distance after a while of out there being out there, this old beat up yellow cab clanking metal is coming down the road towards the United Center, chugging along. It was one of those old style uh, yellow cabs. We get in the, the back. The big Chryslers? We get in the back. Our knees are basically banging up against the, uh, the, 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 the divider. And, and the cab has no air conditioning. Oh, no. So uh, he pulls uh, out. Ellen. Sorry, we didn't mind that day, right? We still had the smile on our faces. Yeah, we had the smile on our faces, but we were, so, I mean, after a while, we were soaking wet. I mean, my shirt was just stuck on me. My my hair, which I had a lot more back then, was just, I had, was dripping. Marty was dripping and, and, and we're there. And then I looked at the air tickets and I go, Marty, we're row 40 in coach flying back. So we got flown in first class to Chicago. We got picked up by a stretch limo. Here we are on the way back to the airport. We're in the back of a yellow cab, dripping sweat. We're flying coach back home, which was okay, right? It's yeah. just a little bit different than the way. And I turned to Marty and I said, Marty, there's a lesson in all this. They treat you a lot better on your way into town than they do on your way out. <laughs> It's a, you know what it's guys, it's, it's so funny to hear that um, because it seems to be symbolic of what the Hawks were at that point. Right. It just seemed like they were an unfinished product. Like they planned everything for you to come in and then forgot, Oh yeah, they might have to leave and go back home too. Uh, it's just a very, that's a very funny story. Now you uh, um, you know, you guys have said uh, that, that the, the next three years were pretty cool uh, Alan, uh, Marty, Alan, I want to, I want to start with you on this one. You have a player, big contract pressure. I do want to ask about this. How do you deal with that first big contract and the pressure that goes along with it? Cause Marty have, let's go into a team. Hasn't made the playoffs in 10 years. Can't sell out. And is the big name with the big ticket. Do you say anything to Marty beforehand or is Marty the kind of guy where it's like, ah, he'll be fine. I don't think there was any pressure on Helen anymore. <laughs> No, <laughs> just you. I, I think it started being on me a little bit. Yeah, but. I, 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 I would say this. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm going to embarrass you, Marty, but Marty is an incredibly charismatic person. And he was um, very soon after coming to Chicago, a favorite of the media that he was working with all the time in Chicago 
And he was also extremely popular with the fans. And, uh, and I think that also off the ice, you're never going to find a more dedicated athlete. You know, Marty was the way he worked in the summers. I have never seen anyone work the way he does getting ready for the season. When we be together in August before leaving to camp, you know, his legs were like tree trunks from all the work <laughs> that he was doing in the summer. And he, and he watched, you know, the food that he ate very, he was very careful with his diet and, and really approached the game like a true pro. And I think that coming into Chicago, you really couldn't go down. It couldn't get any worse on the ice, on the on-ice product than it already was. So it could only get better. Um, but, but I think that from the hockey perspective, I don't tell players how to play. I don't give advice on whether they should shoot the puck or pass the puck. That's not what I do, right? So from the business side, just like Marty said, um, the contract was done. I went back to now working on all the off-ice issues and, and trusted Marty to do what he needs to do on the ice. Did you feel any pressure, Marty? Well, I kind of did for the first time uh, because of the contract too, a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll probably be one of the best paid guys on the team at the time. And I felt like they really believed in me because they gave me a contract like that. And uh, I'm supposed to be one of the leaders of the team. And uh, I wanted to perform and I wanted to have great, uh, great first season and the season after that. Like, I think I'm not different than anybody else. They just, uh, everybody wants to have the best season ever all the time. So, uh, but the first year, uh, the beginning, I felt pressure, but I didn't feel uh, what I didn't feel before, but uh, ended up being pretty Pretty good after that, uh, uh, the next next three years and uh, until everything, I mean, until my body starts falling apart. Right. <laughs> As happens to us all. I, I want to I read a couple of quotes here. Martin, I hope you don't mind if I read this, but these are things that have been published when you talk about Alan. Uh, these are a couple of things that, you know, have been said in the in press releases and stuff. Alan Walsh does anything to help his players. He's always honest. He speaks from the heart and he doesn't care what anybody thinks. I was lucky to have Alan as my uh, agent, as a player, and in my life as a friend. He helped me throughout my whole career, especially in the tough times. It wasn't just me. He stands up for all of his players. I will never forget that. It, was it wasn't just business. Still, we're players, and it's better for the agent to fight your battles so you can focus on the game. So, Marty, can you talk? Let's talk about Alan as if he's not here. Okay. What would you say about your time with Alan uh, and, and what would you say to, to people that don't know Alan, that they, sh what should they know about him? What makes him special as an agent? That he's not scared of anyone. He's, he might be very uh, short with <laughs> a lot of hair, but he, uh, but when he walks somewhere in the room, uh, you still can see him. And when he starts talking, then he's like a loud, like pit bull. Mm-hmm. But you want uh, have a, your agent to have a mentality like that. And uh, I could always count on him, like I said, especially in the uh, tough times. And uh, throughout the, not just my career, but anybody's career, you're going to have tough times. doesn't matter what you do. So when, 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 it's, when it's going away, everything is so easy and so easy for you, so easy for the agent. Uh, but when it's uh, when it's not going your way and uh, you really need some help and somebody who is thinking about you and uh, that you really need on your side and that Alan was always there when I needed the help. Uh, and it was not just once, but it was a lot of times. And uh, the career is not not long. Somebody has long career, somebody has short careers, but... Uh, uh, he's been always there for me. So I'm very happy for that. Alan, how's it feel, feel hearing that? Um, I think people who um, know me, people in my life, people around me, 
all know that uh, Marty and I have always had from the very beginning, a very special connection. You know, um, when, when Marty's first child was born, uh, it was in San Jose. I flew up on, on the day um, his daughter was born. And, and if, if, if it wasn't that close, would you still fly? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to be there no matter what, but I, as I remember getting on the plane, going to the airport, getting on the plane, I had no bags with me at all. I had a morning flight and I flew to San Jose, went right to the hospital and, uh, and, and held your daughter probably two hours after she was born. Yeah. I showed her that picture yesterday when you sent it me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and Marty, Marty, I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Marty got on a, uh, got on a plane in, in Florida and came out to LA, uh, just to be at my son's bar mitzvah, wow. you know, and, uh, because it was, because we, we've become, um, over the course of working together for so many years, like family. And because I was done already. <laughs> and, and you were, <laughs> you were already retired. So you were able to get on a plane during the season and, and, and fly out to LA. Correct. But, wow. but you, you did that. You were there and it meant a lot to, to, to me and to my family, to my son, to everybody. So that was very special. Wow. Well, I, I, I want to thank you both because it's so great for, for somebody sitting from my perspective to get the, to get the look, uh, to understand that relationship a little bit better. I think that's part of what this show is supposed to be. And the relationship between the two of you is quite special. That's evident. Um, so, you know, uh, barring any other questions, Alan, I just want to say, uh, Martin Havlat, what a pleasure it is to get to know you a little bit. Um, Alan has said nothing but amazing things about you. And we really appreciate your time today on the show. Nice to meet you too. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks, Marty. <laughs>